Welcome to Modern Motherhood, where you're required to be everything to everyone all the time. We wouldn't have it any other way, but let's be honest, it's hard work. So let's talk about it, all of it, in the raw with no filter. Come and be a fly on the wall as you listen in on a chat between friends, as each week welcomes a new guest and a new topic to delve deeper around the ins and outs of not only motherhood, but life in general. The ups, the downs, the struggles, the highlights, the reality. Because the reality is, you're not alone. We're all in this together. You're listening to Mummy Republic. Welcome to the whirlwind. Hello, lovely, and welcome back to another episode of the Mummy Republic podcast. I'm your host, Danny, and I have a very educational conversation for you today. And I think every single mama needs to listen to this one because it is so powerful. Look, I'm not going to give too much away. Before we get stuck into it, I do want to give a quick shout out to the amazing A. Betterton, who left me a beautiful five-star review and comment over on the iTunes podcast app. She says, amazing. I have been listening to your podcast from day dot before and after my babe was born, and I am obsessed. You really do talk about the real and raw of parenthood, and it was a good chance for me to prepare and understand the risks and joys of pregnancy, as well as being a first-time mama. It wasn't until I held my babe I really understood what you meant by take a breath, take some time for yourself, and know you're doing a damn good job. And those few words made so much more sense to me now that I have a little human of my own, and I instantly had a little skip in my step. You're a beautiful human and such a positive vibe. I look forward to Mummy Republic Season 2. Oh, thank you so much. That is so beautiful of you to take the time to actually write such amazing feedback and to know that you've been listening from the start and that it's had an impact on your own motherhood journey, hopefully all in positive ways. Um, That means so much to me and that's the whole reason that I do this and I have this platform. So thank you so much. I am very grateful. If you would like Um, to do the same, I'd love for you to jump on over to the iTunes um, podcast app and and leave me a rating and a review so you can let other listeners know what they're in for. Now, as I said, today's episode is all about motherhood, but we touch on some really good quality advice when it comes to dealing with your children and their emotions but also how to navigate your own when it comes to motherhood. So, how about we just get started? Today's mama is a social worker, speaker, word sharer, reflection enthusiast, wife and mama to two gorgeous girls. She's passionate about creating tools and resources to help mothers build a positive relationship with themselves. Welcome to the beautiful Sophie Ryan. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. How do you feel after listening to that introduction? Um... Like I should probably say some really smart and valuable things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no pressure. Really just set the bar quite high for you there. Um, If anybody follows you on Instagram, they'll know that you say really smart things anyway. So it's it's completely fine. Um, Now, basically, we are going to talk about a few things, but I want to touch on social worker. Mm -hmm. Now, I think a lot of people kind of know what that is or what that means but maybe don't have a full understanding as to what it is that you've done or the environment that you've come from so can you give us a bit of an understanding of that yeah so I guess a social worker is someone who works with um, vulnerable groups of people um, in a multitude of different practice areas and so for me um, I've worked in a few different areas I've worked in disability I've worked um, in a children's hospital um, I've worked in welfare um, and most recently I've been working with um, kids in care and their foster carers. So these are children who've experienced trauma in their natural family's home. Um, so I guess my role with those little kitties has really been to work with their carers around, mm. okay, how do we parent a traumatized child? How do we help them heal from that trauma? Um, but in doing that, how do you then also look after yourself? Because I think that is the core of it all. You can
cannot feed into a little child. You cannot help this child heal from trauma if your cup isn't full. So how do we equip you to do that? So mm. that's, that's where I've come from in terms of my professional background. Which I think is so relevant. And you and I were talking off air before about, you know, as a mother, regardless of whether you're a foster mother or, you know, your own children that you're dealing with, it's such a hard thing to navigate because none of us know what we're doing. Exactly. And I think, so you're sent home from hospital with this beautiful little human who you love so much, but you're not told how to look after them. Like through pregnancy, your like your hand is held along the way and you go to these midwife appointments and you um, get told about birth and labor and what to expect from that but then you have your life beforehand is so predictable you you know mm. who you are you've got your routines and you go about life the way that you do you only have to think about yourself and then you're thrown into this chaos essentially um after going through this disruptive event yes it's beautiful but it's disruptive and so how vast does the chasm become between who you knew yourself as before to who you are now with this new little person who you love so much and who takes up your whole life so Mm. yeah god when you word it like that isn't (laughs) isn't it just huge the Mm. the transition is massive and Mm. I think that we so often downplay that but it's like you touched on before for a foster parent there's Mm. all these guidance provided because you know their world's shaken you know they've they're taking on this child Mm. so we give them support but for mums maybe we're we're lacking in that Mm. when you go into a foster care situation and you're Mm. assessing these families what is it that you look for first before you start to give that guidance well, um, if in Queensland, it does differ throughout Australia, but to become a foster carer, there is, um, there's quite a process that you go through. Um, and the last thing that you need to go through, you go through um, like training and screenings and criminal history checks and whatnot, but then you go through an assessment. So this was a large part of what my job was. I would spend 10 to 12 hours interviewing applicants to... Um, really get to know them. I wanted to know why you want to be a foster carer, like what is motivating you to care for a traumatised child. I wanted to know about your family history, your experience of being parented, um, your experience growing up as a teenager, um, significant life experiences, all of those things. That's where our core beliefs come from. Um, the core beliefs about who we are and our own place in the world. Um, It's an incredibly intrusive process. We really, really dig deep. Um, And that process scares a lot of people. But the reason we do it is because we need to know someone as well as we possibly can to know that they are the best person to care for a child who is not their own. Mm. But in saying that, when you go to the parent-child relationship, so like a natural parent to a natural child, all of those same things still influence that relationship, Mm. but you're not then given the support. So it really comes down to the parent. I mean, we have trouble with our kids behaviors and we might um they might I mean I have a three-year-old at the moment (laughs) oh wow teenager (laughs) oh my goodness me and she is fiercely independent um it's a bit confronting at times Um, (laughs) and a lot of the time I have to remind myself that if I want to help her change her behavior I need to start with me Mm. because when I start with me then I'm in a better place to help I guess the key to the relationship is if you start with yourself, that's where the magic happens. That's how you build a stronger relationship with your child. So when you go like with our foster carers, we get all of that information. So we bring that to their awareness. We need to know all this information about you to know, so bring it to your awareness for one, but also to ours. Um, And when we bring it to your awareness, then that's how you can then start to build a relationship with a child who you don't know and who has experienced trauma. But Mm. as parents, we don't get that. It's often not part of our awareness. I hope all of that made sense. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And I'm sitting here just thinking, you know, 
isn't it amazing that we scrutinize and and it is you know quite an invasive process to Mm. these foster carers yet anybody can be a parent Mm. anybody can be a parent and we've all got trauma and and I think it is about being conscious of working through that for not only ourselves but for our children and Mm. that statement before is so powerful working on yourself to be able to work on them and to Mm. help them so as a mum who doesn't have the support of Mm. you know somebody else being that third eye Mm. where do you even start with that it's a really tough one because sometimes we don't even have the awareness that we need to start. And so I guess that's where, um, like we were talking before we started recording at the moment, there's a lot of awareness around motherhood mindset. Like it's, it's in front of our face, which is really, really good because it's those little things that could potentially plant a seed for a woman or a mother to start to actually become aware of, okay, what is that voice inside my mind like Am I speaking to myself in a self-critical way? What is the lens at which I am looking at the world? And when we start from there, that's when we can then start to reflect on our child's experience of the world. Mm. And when we do that, that's that's the relationship magic there. You just gave me goosebumps. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that's, uh, yeah, it's just so powerful. And we, we underestimate the value of that self-reflection and mm. those kind of conversations. And we're going to touch more on that um, down the track because I want to delve into how, what you're doing in that space. Mm. But again, from a foster perspective, what is the, the most sort of common themes that you see with foster children in terms of, I guess, those those elements and I don't want to say damage because Mm. I don't think that's fair but where a child might be struggling or needs that extra support I'm thinking of an example it was a a kinship placement I can't put too many details in of course for confidentiality reasons but um often it's the emotional well-being of a child we Mm. often think of physical safety when we think of safety and so um this child has a roof over their head. This child has um, like nutritious food on the table. Um, they've got clean clothes. They go to school. All is good there. Um, but it's that emotional stuff. So a child who has grown up in a home where they have been neglected, where they have never been shown empathy, where they have never been shown that love, they've never felt that unconditional acceptance from a parent, when they grow up, how, how can we expect them to then know how to show that to their own children? Mm. You know, that's where we get this cycle come through um, the system is we have children who are in care go on to be parents themselves whose children end up in care because they have never experienced being cared, feeling cared for and valued. Mm. So, I mean, there are extreme cases where... Um, I've met children who have been left in cots all day. Um, oh, God, I'm, yeah. too, I'm too pregnant and hormonal for this conversation. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I'm thinking of one little boy um, where he was just left in a cot all day, um, left to attend to himself as a baby. Um, and then as a small child, he was seen to be a child who was really quite, um, he would do what he was told. He wouldn't cry out for help. Um, he was a good child, like in air quotations, you know, because this child, he received the message time and time again that no matter how much I ask for help, no matter how much I cry, nobody is coming. Um, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Is that, doesn't that just as a mother break your heart? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's where my passion comes from. It's like you, like these stories that you hear, like I'm getting goosebumps. Are they? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I haven't stopped. The goosebumps yeah. haven't stopped. Um, the parent who left the child in the cot all day, what was going on for them? Mm. Because we can have this critical view of them and of course, yes, they're doing the wrong thing. Absolutely, we're not making excuses for parents who choose to neglect or abuse their children. Absolutely no way. However, what's going on for them? What has led them to be in that stage in their life where they are doing that to a child? Mm. Um, I think that is the question. It's not 
why are you doing that? It's what has happened to you. Mm. Um, and when we start there, I feel like we can have a bit more empathy. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, you're right, we do judge and we might assume that there's drugs involved or there's other factors, but mm. it could just be a complete lack of emotional understanding because if they've gone through it themselves, they may not realise that the bad thing to do. And it sounds really silly from somebody mm. who hasn't been through that type of experience but we just don't know mm. and isn't it amazing how much that those little emotional factors can impact a child you mm. know to teach someone from such an early age that you can't ask for help because mm. you're not going to get it mm. that's something that travels right through to adulthood mm, absolutely and you see it now um where I know a lot of mums who struggle with the um right such amazing feedback and to know that you've been listening from the start and that it's had we do. Yeah, yeah, and I know so many mums who will try and do it all. They want to have the career, they'll put, clean the house, they'll put the food on the table, they'll, um, they want to do absolutely everything and they won't ask for help. Mm. And then you see, that's when you see men, um, women crumble, you yeah. know, and they start to burn out. It's true though, we glorify being busy mm. and I know for me even... Uh, until this pregnancy where I sort of been forced to slow down you know I had a very busy full-time career I was a, a mum a fiance I had did the podcast and did all this stuff but you do you burn out and it's exhausting mm. but you get in this habit of well I have to do it all right because I want to be a good mum and I want to be a good wife and I want to be a great employee and mm. all of that jazz but yeah. it's bullshit because it's not maintainable Mm, exactly exactly and I think um for so many mums it's like we try and find our worth in how much we can self-sacrifice yes um and your level of worth or your amount of worth doesn't equate like they're not on the same wavelength they shouldn't be on the same measuring stick Mm. um because the amount that you self-sacrifice has nothing to do with how worthy you are as a mother or as a woman, um, just as a person, I think our worth is innate in us anyway. And once we begin to see that and accept that, then we can see that too much self-sacrifice is actually self-sabotage. Mm. Mm. That's so powerful, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I think I think that's a really great prompt for self-reflection mm. because hearing it in that way is a good way to put it into perspective. Mm. Now, talking about perspective, you obviously gave a lot to your job as a social worker and then, of course, I would imagine that would be really emotionally draining, just mm-hmm. pre-kids, but then you started your own motherhood journey. Mm. So how did that how did you see a shift from that? Before I had my first daughter, I could see, I saw my job for what it was as a a position description, you know, like Mm. um, I'm helping foster carers to um, care for children who have experienced trauma, to help them heal from their trauma. I became a parent myself and I was struggling and I thought if I'm struggling as someone who has all of this knowledge about attachment about child development um about all of this stuff and i've got a pretty good level of self-awareness i think then how much more could a foster carer be struggling when they're caring for a child who is not biologically theirs Mm -hmm. and who comes with a whole lot of trauma and a whole lot of challenging behavior to go with that trauma so That's kind of where I went back to work the second time and the headspace that I was in, I was like, okay, I need to do more, I need to do more. And um, it got a bit much, I think, for me. Mm. And I I think I started to over-empathise and take on some of that trauma myself. And we talk about it um, as vicarious trauma, um, where... You, you work in environments that are filled with trauma, so you do take on a bit of that yourself. And um, so I was experiencing a bit of that. Um, and then going back to work the second time around, I was experience, experiencing it again. And I just couldn't find that work-life balance where I wasn't taking this stuff home with me in my mm-hmm. mind. Um, and so, yeah, I made the decision to step away from that. But then my my passions kind of started to 
go in different areas of working with mums in their own lives and working on their own relationships with themselves um, because as maybe we can talk about as well through my own experience of becoming a mother I learned a lot about that there yeah and that's actually a great segue because that was going to be my next question (laughs) to lead into you know it's not Mm. just um you become a mum and you were on this motherhood journey you Mm. had a lot of elements of motherhood that you had to navigate through Mm. and you had some birth trauma and Mm. then the transition do you want to talk a little bit more about that yeah yeah so when I had my um eldest daughter I guess we should start before becoming a mother. I was, um, I still am, but I was more so very structured, very intentional um, with how I planned my day. I would get up very early in the morning at about 4.30 or 5 o'clock. I'd have that big 500 mils of water. I'd go to the gym. I'd come home and have breakfast. I'd like shower, go to work. Like this was me. Yep. That just who I was. I lived and breathed it. Um, Becoming a mum absolutely rocked my world. And I realised that what I struggled with was flexibility. Mm. Um, but my birth experience with Elena was one where I felt... Elena is my daughter's name, I should say. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's got an unusual name, so I didn't want someone... I to love say, unusual yeah. names. But yes, thank you for clarifying. Um, With her, it was, it wasn't textbook traumatizing, but what I've learned about birth trauma is it's the woman's experience Mm -hmm. of that. Um, So for me, it was traumatizing. It was a complete lack of control. I went into birth thinking that I didn't have a birth plan, that I was going to be flexible because anything can happen. But really in my heart of hearts, I knew I had a birth plan and I did not expect it to go the way that it went. Mm. So I, um, after a very, very long labor, um, I ended up with an emergency C-section with her um, and she was born not breathing, but then she was resussed pretty quickly. Everything was fine. But it was in that hospital stay afterwards, I just felt like I had been thrown into this foreign land. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I had all these different nurses telling me, you breastfeed this way, you breastfeed that way. Um, Yeah, you have great boobs to breastfeed. Oh, you might struggle with breastfeeding because your boobs are this way. And you're like, um, okay, you you are contradicting yourselves. Like, how do I navigate this? And I remember one night, she was well, in the hospital. Um, I think I was there for two or three nights. She just would not stop crying. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying and trying to get her to stop crying while, like, bouncing around, like, sore from my C-section, haven't slept in days. And a nurse comes in and just rips her off me and calmed her down. And I it absolutely broke my heart because I was like, I should be able to do that. I'm her mum. And I think from there, I felt like I needed to maintain control of everything. And my poor husband, he is a beautiful man. He's incredibly patient because really for the first year of her life, I controlled everything about Mm -hmm. her care. I did not let him do much at all. It was all me because I thought I felt like I'd failed her in that in those first few days of life. And to try and, I guess, make up for it, I was like, no, 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 I'm going to do everything. I need to look after her. Like, I'm a good mum. I was trying to justify to myself Mm. that I was a good mum. And it didn't really hit home that I was suffering from PTSD until I fell pregnant with my second daughter, Lucy. And I had a complete mental breakdown when I was 16 weeks pregnant and I had to stop work for about six weeks um, where I just couldn't cope. I couldn't cope at all. I would just cry and cry and cry all the time. I really struggled to get out of bed and there was a lot of guilt around that because my um, I would cry in front of Elena and that I couldn't handle the fact that I was crying in front of her, which would make me cry more. Mm-hmm. But then um, a psychologist that I was seeing at the time said this to me. And so if anyone is listening 
that is struggling with this and has cried in front of their kids, hear me now, it is okay to cry in front of your children. It shows them that you are a human being Mm. who experiences emotions and when you are sad, sometimes you cry. And so that's what I would do if I felt myself getting to a point where I was going to cry, I would say to her, mommy's a bit sad right now and sometimes when I'm sad, I cry and it's okay to cry and I'll be okay soon. Oh God. Yes. It's so true though because they they need to see that vulnerability Mm -hmm. and you hear so much now, Mm -hmm. you know, now that we're opening these conversations Mm -hmm. about children who were sheltered from emotions and not exposed to, you know, those maybe tough conversations Mm -hmm. who who struggle with their emotions because they think it's not okay because, well, my parents never cried or Mm -hmm. my mum did it all, but your mum was probably losing her shit in the cupboard you know like we just we need to show and it's a fine line Mm. but we need to show some parts of vulnerability to make them know that Mm. that's okay absolutely because we are their first role models Mm. we may not have the biggest impact on them in the span of their lifetime um when they get into adolescence they're not going their role models are going to be people that we may not be super pleased about but, <laughs> yeah. I mean in those little years we have a huge impact mm. and we will always be their first role models and so if we can role model to them in those little years that that we all experience emotions this is what they look like this is how I manage them I'm gonna help teach you how to manage them then we're going to end up with a generation of kids who are actually able to better cope and manage their emotions mm. as their adults. The little years is the time to do this. The, with brain development, your brain grows to about 75% of its capacity in the first 1,000 days of life. So that's from conception until about age three. And so in that time... That is the time to talk about emotions, to show your vulnerability, to teach kids about how to cope with their emotions. And I mean, like newborn babies, I mean, you ask me how you do that with a newborn baby. At that point, it's more about bonding with them, Mm. marveling at them, connecting with them, responding to them when they cry, Mm. getting to know what those different cries mean. And that's called attunement. So a mother, when they get to know their child and when they're attuned to their child, you go, oh, that's their hungry cry. Oh, they're just having a whinge. Oh, no, they really need me. You know, and more research shows that when we are attuned to our child, 30% of the time they're going to be okay isn't that amazing because Mm. we like you touched on before and have experienced we feel like we need to be the one who's on top of everything Mm. 100% of the time Mm -hmm. and 30% from a research perspective yeah shows that that's sufficient yeah 30% of time if you are meeting your child's emotional needs um well all of their needs well, research suggests that it's enough for them to have a secure attachment to a parent. Mm. Um, and I don't want people to get carried away with that figure though either. Because for me, I knew this going into pregnancy, going yeah. into motherhood, but that was a trigger for me because I thought, I know better. I'm a social worker. I know child <laughs> development. I know attachment. I need to get it right 100% of the time. So I don't want that to be a trigger for anyone else. It's basically just to, it's a statistic that says, be kind to yourself. Yeah. It's that reassurance that you don't have to be everything yeah. to everyone all the time. Yeah. Even if you think you do. Yeah, exactly. So you've had quite an evolution because, oh, yes. <laughs> you know, and it, and it is what they say. It's like the, the best mothers are the ones who don't have children yet yeah. because we're all experts. And for you, it was obviously your field and you, you were mm. very well equipped with that information, mm. but then transitioning to the practical world is very different absolutely so you've sort of transitioned again to Mm. almost want to give back to other mums and take that knowledge and that care and adapt it to 
you know, every mother and child. Mm. So do you want to talk a little bit more about what you're doing in that space? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really, truly believe that we need to prioritise our own well-being in order for our children to thrive. Mm. Um, I saw it in the foster care space. These carers need to look after themselves in order for these children to heal from trauma, in order for them to build a relationship, a healing relationship, we would call it, in that world, in that space. Um, It's the same in the home. You really need to meet your own needs before you can then give out to anybody else. I mean, it's a tried and used analogy but it's the oxygen mask theory like yeah put your own on first because if you've passed out you're no help to anybody yep you know so true yeah um and mothers burn out all the time i mean i i burn out and i use that language with my husband i say i'm feeling that i'm starting to burn out i need to go and do this and he's really supportive he gets that i use that language he knows what it means and I think it's okay to name it. I think you're allowed to say, I'm burning out from being a mum. It doesn't mean you mm. hate being a mum. It just means that you're a human being with your own needs. So I truly believe you need to prioritise your own well-being, your own wellness, in order for your children to thrive. So that's working on your relationship with yourself, getting to know yourself, developing that self-awareness, um, giving yourself that self-compassion, self-kindness, all of that stuff because when you have an awareness of yourself that's when you will have more of an awareness of what is going on for your child as well and that is how you then build a relationship with others so I guess my focus in this space I'm now working in is to one first and foremost help mums develop a better relationship with themselves and maintain that your relationship is going to go in ebbs and flows because you're going to have busy periods of life and not so busy periods of life. But then also to use that to build a better relationship with your child because I really feel that we're relational beings. We're meant to be in relationship with each other and if you can get your relationship with yourself right, it's going to have a positive impact on your relationship with your child And the overflow of that is your child will listen to you more when you're disciplining them. They will trust you more, you know. Um, An example of this, my three-year-old daughter had to get a blood test. And I was so, so anxious about it. But I really believe that we have a really solid relationship. I really believe that she trusts me. And so... I prepped her from the day before and we play doctors at home and so we did like a little play Mm -hmm. beforehand. We practiced and she took my pretend blood and whatnot Um, and I told her we're going to get a needle. You have to sit really still and it will hurt. I told her it was going to hurt. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to shy away from that because that would. I didn't want it to shock her when it happened. Or in impact your trust yes exactly um then we like on the way there i'm talking to her about it again um before we go in i'm talking to her about it again i'm letting her ask me questions i'm answering really honestly um and then we go in she sits down on the chair and she sits still while they take three vials of blood and they said they hadn't seen a child do that before And I really do believe it's because she trusts me. Mm -hmm. We have a really solid relationship. Um, And I think that's because I feel like I've got a pretty good relationship with myself. And because I have that relationship with myself, I can be more in tune with her. We can have a stronger bond because of it. She then trusts me. She believes me that she's going to be okay even though this needle hurts. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. So I guess that's my... That's my vision. That's my mission. I, what I want to do, help mums in that space. Yeah. And I think there's an absolute need for it because, you know, every mother goes through the journey or the transition completely differently and we Mm. don't get given a guide and we don't get that extra level of help. We're Mm. sort of just 
this human is thrown upon us and we've got to figure it all out. And Mm. I think we're in a space where we're talking about things a lot more these days around the transition from an emotional perspective, Mm. but it's not just straight away. And it's not just when you have a newborn, you know, it's an evolution when the child grows and gets older. So it's, I think you bang on that we need to have that relationship with ourselves Mm. from an advice perspective. Mm. And this is obviously generic because everybody's individual, Mm. but where would you start as a mum who's feeling potentially a little bit lost or Mm. feeling like they need to reconnect? What would you do? I think it starts with some self-reflection. I think you need to um, sit down with a pen and paper and start asking yourself some questions. And I think I, one question that I like to start with is, who am I? Because it is one that is really, really hard mm. to answer. Um, like, who am I? You know? And for me, you are whoever you choose to be. Are you a mum? Yes, but you're not just a mum. Are you compassionate? Are you kind? Are you committed to growth? Are you a foodie? Are you, like, who are you? Um, I think that's a really good one to start with um, because then when you can work out a few points in there about who you are, how do other people see you, how do you see yourself, I think that's a really good place to start in terms Mm -hmm. of that self-reflection, getting to know yourself. I have a free downloadable on my website, which is Mastering the Art of Self-Reflection. It's completely free, um, and I've got 21 journal prompts in there. I think journaling is a really good way to reflect, because when you write things down, when you are writing, it forces your thoughts to slow down, because we write slower than we think, talk, or type. Mm. And when you do that, it helps to calm anxiety levels. If a mother is experiencing anxiety or overwhelm, she gets out a pen and paper and she starts writing it out. It forces it to slow down. Oh, another good one. When you're experiencing that overwhelm, just write, I feel, and write down everything that you feel. Um, I remember doing this when um, my husband went away on a trip to Bali a couple of years ago. And I was not in a very good place. And when he got home, my expectations were probably a bit off. And so I was feeling a bit cranky at him. Um, And so I started writing down, like, I feel like you didn't miss me. I feel like I'm not worthy of love. Those types of things. When you get it out on paper, you go, hang on, that's a bit silly. Yeah. That's not true. That is just your self-critical soundtrack trying to sell you this fictitious story about who you are and what people think of you. So that's another good one. Did you share that with him? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's, I definitely think that that's a great idea. And I mm. think sometimes it even helps you navigate those thoughts mm. to go. And, and I certainly don't do it enough. Mm. I, you know, you hear of all the benefits for journaling and mm. it's one of those things you kind of go, oh, yeah, I'll get, I'll get to it. Mm. Um, but it's amazing the impact that it can have. Mm. From a communication perspective, mm. At what point do you think you involve your partner? Because obviously self-reflection, I think we need to do ourselves mm-hmm. too often. We want other people's opinions or validation. Yes. But at what point do you go, okay, this is where I'm at. This is the support that I need from you. Yeah, I think I think straight up, if you're struggling, then you should be able to rely on your partner. Mm. I think straight up, you can involve them. Um However, I think often, and I am super, super guilty of this all the time, and I have to constantly remind myself, I cannot expect him to do something if I have not communicated the expectation. (laughs) (laughs) I can guarantee you everybody listening to this would be like, oh, yep, I've done that. Because I definitely do that too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, but you, you should be a mind reader, right? Like, exactly. I've thought of it, so yeah. you should be all over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. we all too often we want them to read our minds. And I remember even thinking, oh, was it last Mother's Day or the Mother's Day before? Um, he, oh, he's like, oh, what do you want to do? And I knew what I wanted to do, but I was like, no, you have you, you plan it, blah, blah, blah. I, I want you to plan it. It's my special day. I'm the best, whatever. Um, and then I was disappointed. 
Oh my God, and you're so funny. Yeah. I, I was exactly the same on Mother's Day. Yeah. I, I can't remember. I think it was, yeah, maybe, maybe it was the last one. Yeah, yeah. because we built it up in our head thinking yeah. you should know. Exactly. But I mean, I was cranky and angry at him and he'd done nothing wrong. Yeah. Absolutely nothing wrong. And then all that did actually was damage the relationship a little bit. Mm. It doesn't mean like oh, we're really cranky with each other. Like when I say damage the relationship, it's not like, oh, we're breaking up, see you, bye. It's like relationships get hit all the time. Mm. You're constantly having things thrown at you and it's how you manage it. But expectations are the fastest way to ruin relationships. And so, um, yeah, that was, that's probably one of my biggest things. If you are doing a bit of self-reflection and you are digging deep and you're being confronted by all these things that maybe you don't quite like about yourself and you're wondering when to involve your partner, involve them, I guess, when you feel ready, but I think straight up, have mm-hmm. that open communication. But, yeah, don't expect them to do something if you haven't communicated what the expectation is. Yeah. Yep. That is such a valuable piece yeah. of advice. I bet you Dan's listening to this going, yes, yeah. finally. Yeah, my husband will be like, hey, but didn't you get cranky at me the other day? And I'm like, yes. And well, it's true though. Like, it's definitely something I'm conscious of. And mm. I think that's the other thing. We need to be gentle with ourselves. You're not going to change your behavior straight away. Oh, no. And it's, it is that that little thing of even next time you do it to go even just to say sorry and go you know what I put too much expectation on you or Mm. I didn't tell you what I want or next time he asks to go okay well this is kind of what I might be thinking or the realm of it and just yeah it's a gradual thing yeah and on on the saying sorry note as well in terms of like our kids if you want them to say sorry to a child that they hit in the playground or if you want them to say sorry to you for whatever reason you need to say sorry to them mm. we don't get it right all the time yep. I yelled at my girls on Tuesday we had a terrible day in my house <laughs> <laughs> and I did not want to say sorry because I was like I'm right I'm the parent you should listen to me blah blah, blah. but I apologized I apologized for yelling at them and my one-year-old, she's like, doesn't understand an apology. But my three-year-old does. Mm. And that's really powerful for her. So I think owning your crap is really powerful and is a really good relationship-building tool with your kids as well. Not just with your partner or with other relationships, but with your kids. I think if you can show them that you're human, that you do stuff up, but when you stuff up, you need to apologize, mm. that's really powerful. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I could not agree more. Um, one of the things that I am really passionate about, and it's very much on theme with what we've just been talking about, is making sure that you carve out time for yourself and yep. remember that you were a person before a mum. Mm. And I like to call it the me before mummy. So what is it that Sophie does to mm. reconnect with that person pre-kids? Because it's, it's mm. different for everybody. Yeah. I wake up very early in the morning. What time? About 4.30. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> but you did that pre-kids, right? You're one of those sickos. Yes. yes I <laughs> and I say that with love. <laughs> um, I am a morning person to my core. I always have been. Um, so I wake up at 4.30 before anyone else in my house is awake. So I am an introvert at heart. I remember doing... Um, if anyone's familiar with the Myers-Briggs personality test, yes. I did it when I was like 19 or something and I got 99% introvert. It's wow. changed over the years, but back then it was 99% introvert. That's where I sat. Um, but besides that, I'm a little bit more extroverted, but I'm, I'm an introvert to my core. Um, I need that alone time. I love my husband. But when the girls go to bed, that's our time. I need me time and I need it every day. Mm. So that is a non-negotiable. I aim for it to be non-negotiable for me. I get up at 4.30 and I have a glass of water, I have a cup of coffee and I journal or I read or I stretch, exercise. I don't have a clear plan every day. But I do something for me. Sometimes I just sit in the silence and drink my coffee and don't do anything. I 
How blissful is that? Though? Yeah, it's oh amazing. My goodness. So that's how I connect with my me before mummy. I just do the things that light me up, and it is those little things that light me up. Um, another one that I do is I go to a cafe by myself, and I know that's scary for some people, mm. but I love it. I used to do it. Um, before I had Elena, I would go and leave home early for work and I would go spend an hour sitting in a cafe and I would get breakfast and a coffee and I would journal or read or do whatever. I just love that. And I still make time to do that. And I think too, if you, if you're in a cafe or you're in a different environment, it forces you to do something just for yourself. Mm. Because sometimes when you're at home, you're like, oh, I should put the washing on or I should do this or I should do that. Mm. So yeah, that is that's really powerful. Mm. I love that. Yeah. What if you're hungover? Do you still get up early the next day? Well, <laughs> truth be told, I've only been hungover twice in my life. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, because I... You deserve a badge. <laughs> <laughs> like, and once was when I was irresponsibly young. Um, and the second time, I think, was New Year's. Not long after I got married, we were on a family holiday um, and... It was a holiday with the in-laws and I didn't want them to know I was hungover. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're all staying in the same house and so only twice in my life. Um, so no, I'm up early every morning. My husband says, why do you get up so early? But I need that time. You yeah. can sleep, babe. I need to get up. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And a lot of people have similar goals when it mm. comes to having that alone time because, you know, one of the things that we always say is, I don't have enough time Mm. and I'm definitely guilty of it. I'm like, I don't have enough time, but then I'll sit scrolling on Instagram for 30 minutes. Whereas I could have been doing something useful with that 30 minutes. Yeah. You can, like you need to carve out space. Like you said before, you Mm. need to create that time and we are all time poor and time, time is not a renewable resource, but your energy is. And so Mm. if you find things to renew your energy, like, getting up before the kids to give yourself that time to recharge or going for a walk. I mean, these sound like activities that expend energy, but if it's something that lights you up, it's renewing your energy. Mm. So that's one that I like to say to myself sometimes is, yes, you feel so busy. We can't create more time in a day in terms of those 24 hours. That's all you get, but you can renew your energy. So how are you going to do that? Mm. I love that. I love that. So true. Well, thank you so much for joining me and for sharing your story and some insights, obviously from a professional perspective as well, because Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of power in understanding a different perspective when it Mm. comes to parenting and Mm. foster care is certainly that Mm. um now sophie i'm going to pop all of her details into the show notes um, including her website and her instagram so you can follow along and you can also have a look at her wonderfully free ebook which is a fantastic place to start but i think a lot of what you've said would have resonated with so many so thank you again so much for joining me no thank you for having me it's been a real privilege I really hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did because I think, my goodness, all of those amazing snippets of information that Sophie gave away is so valuable to us as mums, not only in the way that we parent but the way that we see our own motherhood journey because it's not just about the kids, it's also about us and that's a really important thing to remember. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that I put together a quote from the episode um, and pop it up as a post with a bit of a debrief in terms of what it's about. And I cannot (laughs) explain how difficult it was to pick just one quote from Sophie because, my goodness, she had such amazing pieces of information. So I'm so grateful that she could join us. Now, a few things that I took away from the conversation is what I touched on before. Motherhood is a journey. It's a journey for both you and your child. Self-reflection is key, not only when it comes to dealing with your own behaviours, but for that of your child and how you can create that loving relationship. As Sophie touched on, foster parents go through a whole process and a whole conversation before they're granted the opportunity to care for a child. But as natural parents, we don't get that luxury. We don't have somebody looking over our shoulder and helping guide us through the process. We have to navigate it on our own. So it's important to start with you 
and then start building that relationship with your child, which might sound funny if you're starting at a later stage, but there's always an opportunity for growth and it just takes that little bit of effort to make sure that you can get there. When it comes to self-care and making sure that you're taking care of yourself as a parent, Sophie reminds you that there is a fine line between self-sacrifice and self-sabotage. Doing it all and being it all does not need to be a way to make you more worthy. You are worthy just as you are. You deserve to have time to yourself. You deserve to work on yourself and find things that bring you joy. It doesn't mean that you have to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders just to prove that you're a good mum. You're already a good mum. The fact that you care about it shows that you're a good mum. So make sure that you're conscious of that fine line. When it comes to these types of issues, as well as self-reflection, make sure that you share them with your partner. It's important to make sure that you're on the same page when it comes to your parenting journey, but it's also important to make sure that you utilize that support network that you have around you, whether it is your partner, your mother, a friend, anybody. You don't need to do it alone and you don't need to carry the burden all on your own shoulders. Sophie says a great way to reconnect with yourself and your feelings is to journal and you will hear this a lot. A lot of people talk about the benefits of journaling and I know personally it's definitely a habit that I need to get into. But writing down your feelings and your experiences can help you navigate through them and sometimes it might just give you the sanity check that you need. If you would like to follow more of Sophie's journey, you can find her over on Instagram at Sophie Ann Ryan, and I will be sure to put her handle and her website details in the show notes because as she touched on, she does have free resources on her website available for mamas. So it is a great place to start. Also, if you got value out of today's episode, please make sure that you share it. Whether you pop it on your social media, tell a friend about it, talk about it at your mother's group, the more that we open these conversations and streamline this advice, the better it's going to be for all mamas. Because the reality is you're not alone. We're all in this together. So let's help each other out. Now on to you, my friend. I am going to give you a little bit of homework. If you have not done so already, I urge you to carve out a snippet of time to give back to yourself and the me before mummy. It can be a few minutes or a few hours, just an opportunity to reconnect with that person that you were pre-children and give back to yourself. If you would like to share it with myself and other mamas, you can do so over on social media by using the hashtag the me before mummy and tagging myself at mummy republic. But in the meantime, remember to take a breath, take some time for yourself and know that you're doing a damn good job. Thank you again so much for joining me. I cannot wait to share more stories with you. So if you haven't done so already, make sure that you click on that subscribe button so that you don't miss a thing. Thanks again. Lots of love and I'll see you next week.